Uh, today we are going to be continuing the theology of hymns with part two. And uh, if you missed it last week, each week we, we look at a hymn and we lean into the spiritual truth that conveys uh, what that hymn says about us. More importantly, what that hymn says about God. Because all hymns convey something to us that uh, I think we ought to, to pay attention to and grab onto. So as John mentioned last week, hymn, the word hymn, comes from a Greek word which means you shall skip a verse. Actually, that's, that, that's not true. Hymn is just a song of praise, and, that, and that's what hymns are. That's what we're going to do. Hymns have been part of the faith experience for centuries. And so the hymn that we're going to explore today, as Benny mentioned, was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. Uh, it was first published in 1876, and it is titled, It is Well With My Soul. Isn't that a great title? We're off to a good start, aren't we? I mean, wouldn't you like it for it to be well with your soul? When was the last time someone asked you how you're, do how you're doing and your answer was, it is well with my soul? I don't know about you, but for me, you know, my first response to how's it going generally isn't, bro, I got to tell you, my soul is super content right now. I usually answer with, I'm fine, or I'm hanging in there. Those two answers fall a bit short of, it is well with my soul. Well, today is not going to be a guilt trip that you and I don't skip around singing, I've got the joy, joy down in my heart. That's not today's hymn. It's actually not a hymn. Today, here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to explore the reality that in and through Jesus Christ, we can declare that it is well with my soul. When all of the circumstances in our lives point, point us to the opposite, we can declare through Christ that it is well with our soul, even when life presses in on all sides. A number of years ago, I was in one of those really soul-pressing circumstances. My wife and I and our kids, we were traveling from Chicago to Santa Cruz, California, to visit friends and family. And at this point in our lives, Dana and I, we were well-versed travelers, even with kids. We knew what to do. And so we left for the airport. We had an early morning flight. We left for the airport on time. And on the way to the airport, we missed an exit, but that's okay because everyone leaves margin, right? When you, when you go to the airport, you leave margin for stuff like that. So even in the Chicago morning rush hour traffic, we got to Midway on time. We got the ticketing on time. We checked our bags on time. And so we're headed toward the security checkpoint. Tickets in hand. Kids are doing great. It's well with my soul. But then we get to the security line. And that's when the entire United States population was waiting in line to get past the security guard. It was so crowded. I'd never seen Midway Airport that crowded. But, you know, we, we always leave margin. And so this circumstance, we're going to be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. And as, as I stood there, you know when you step into that moment and you look at all of the rows of people, how many people are in each row, and about how many people, how long it takes somebody to do one of these? And then you, you calculate, you do the math in your head. It takes me 25 minutes to divide anything, but I could do airport math like that. And I calculated how much time we were going to have, and I knew in that moment, I don't know if we're going to make our flight. And by the time we were in the middle of that herd of frustrated people, none of whom, by the way, were smiling, many of whom were doing that, that toe thing and stomping, like, come on, let's, you know, no one was happy. By the time we were in the middle of all of those people, I looked at my watch and I realized my math was off. This was taking a lot longer and it was not well with my soul anymore. So by the time we got to the last stretch of people before the security agent who has to check your ticket and your ID, 
we knew that our flight had already started to board. And so we were running out of time. So Dana and I begged the people in front of us, will you let us cut? Will you let us go in front of you? Our, our flight's boarding right now. And to my surprise, everybody let us cut except this big angry dude at the front of the line who hates puppies and sunshine who wouldn't let us get, go in front of him. So we had to wait behind that dude. But eventually we got to like the, uh, you know, the conveyor belt thing where you have to put everything in bins. So we're like unloading all of our carry-ons, all this stuff. Mind you, we're traveling with children. So we had diaper bags and screens and all the stroller and all this stuff. So we had to fold up the stroller. It doesn't go this way, doesn't go this way, flip it over, wheels up, and it goes that way. And then we had to get all that stuff through the, through the x-ray machine. And by the time we got to the other side of the x-ray machine, that's when we heard the last boarding call for our flight. So I looked at Dana and I said, just go, just run, just go. Take the kids and go. So Dana took Lacey, our youngest, put her in the stroller, threw a whole bunch of stuff on top of Lacey. Jocelyn's running free. Dana goes. So she's running down the gate. And I'm like taking everything out of the bins and putting it in my backpack, like all the stuff, all the screens, all the kids stuff. And then I put the backpack on my shoulders and I start booking it through Midway Airport, home alone style. That's when I realized my backpack was getting lighter because I didn't zip it. And so I turned around and I, I noticed that all the stuff was flying out of my uh, backpack, which, by the way, included my textbooks and a brand new, literally turned on one time Judson University issued laptop. And I watched as it sailed through the sky and landed on the airport floor, breaking into several pieces. So I know, right? And so Dana turned around and look of shock on her face, and I said, Just go, one of us is making this flight. So I pick up everything, put it in my backpack zip it. And then I full-on sprint to try to catch up with Dana. We get to the gate as they're shutting the door, and we missed our flight. It's not well with my soul anymore. And so uh, we, you know, talked to Southwest, and Southwest put us on the next flight out, which uh, happened to be to Denver and then to San Jose after that. So we get on an airplane about 20 minutes later, we're headed west, which is the right direction. My kids are okay. Dana's doing okay considering. And so, you know, things could be worse. So my soul's feeling a little bit better. <clears throat> After the flight, though, the, or uh, toward the end of the flight, the uh, captain gets on the thing to say, okay, time to shut off your screens and put your tray table up. We're making our descent to Denver, where the current conditions are mostly cloudy with periods of heavy snow, and the current temperature is 1 so this was spring break, and this was one of those rare springs in Chicago where it's warm consistently. It's like in the 70, 70 degrees consistently. It's always 70 degrees in Santa Cruz. So my family was in flip-flops and T-shirts. We weren't dressed for one, okay? And, we, and you know those like Sherpa lines zip over the car seat things for kids? We didn't pack that. We just had like a thin little blanket. So we land in Denver, and then we have to get to our terminal, so we have to ride that train thing in Denver. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had the joy of traveling in that Petri dish of mass transit? So we get to our terminal, which was the furthest one out there. It was the one that was in basically Nebraska, and our gate was the farthest one in that terminal. And so we run to that gate, and by the time we get there, we don't want to miss our flight again. By the time we get to our gate, we, we arrive to the news that the periods of heavy snow had matured into a full-blown Denver blizzard, and our flight was delayed several hours. And so we collapsed next to our gate, cold and frustrated, and wondering where we went wrong, completely tired. 
And I looked at Dana and I said, are you, are you doing okay? And she looked at me with one of those looks that communicates, you're an idiot for even asking me that question. Of course I'm not okay. It's not well with my soul. No. Have you ever had an experience like that? Have you ever collapsed next to the gate of your life, cold and frustrated? Here we found ourselves in Denver where it was one degree. We were not prepared for Denver. Denver wasn't our destination, but here we are in Denver in a place where we're not meant to be. Has that ever been you? Have you ever felt the weight of your circumstances and been frustrated and overwhelmed by them? If that's you, then today's hymn is your hymn. Today's hymn is your song. It is well with my soul as a hymn, like all of the hymns that we're going to look at throughout this series, points us to a spiritual truth that we ought to hold on to. And today's hymn is especially true if you've ever felt that things in your life aren't the way they ought to be and your soul isn't very well. Today's hymn is your hymn. Today's your song. So here's the first verse of It Is Well With My Soul. It reads, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. When peace or sorrows come, whatever the circumstance may be, whatever the lot, God has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. That's got a very roll with the punches type vibe, doesn't it? I've often envied those roll with the punches type people who have the stoic confidence that everything in their life is going to work out. I've often tried to fake that stoicism, and really it just makes my eye twitch. But the people that I know that have that stoic confidence, there is a shelf life on it, and eventually the circumstance becomes reality, and eventually they feel the weight of their circumstance. And I realize that I have been doing it all wrong. I've been trying to dig deep and get that stoicism from within me, but I've been doing it all wrong. Look at the, look at the words of the first verse of It Is Well With My Soul. The writer writes, thou hast taught me to say, thou hast, not me. Horatio Spafford knew the truth of scriptures. Listen to these words of Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Paul writes, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, wouldn't you like to know that secret? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him. That's through Jesus Christ. That's who you can do all things through. That's who can teach you to say, it is well with your soul, no matter your lot. That's who can teach me to say, no matter what the circumstance is, it is well with my soul. If you've been following Jesus for some time, have you ever felt guilty that you're not joyful like all the time? I have constantly. And I know, I know how blessed I am. I know that God has redeemed me, that I'm his child, that I have an inheritance. I know all of this to be true. And yet, rainbows and sunshine aren't beaming out of me all the time. I feel the, the weight of, of some of that guilt. And so what do I do? I try harder to be happier, right? I dig deeper to be happier. I pray for longer. I read two chapters in the Bible, not just one. And this time, I don't let my mind wander. You know, I try to dig deep to get to that. But that's my problem. Perhaps that's your problem too. It's not that we don't try enough. 
It's that we're not relying on the one from whom peace comes. Things like uh, peace and joy are the fruit of the spirit of Jesus, not the products of the labor that we put forth. Jesus is the source of wellness for our souls. Jesus is the source of wellness. The wellness of my soul depends on the one from whom wellness comes. I think too often you and I, can, we, we wait for our circumstances to change in order for us to feel contentment or to feel peace or to feel well. We think if only this thing would happen, then this would be the outcome. But the writer of both this hymn and the book of Philippians remind us that the source of this peace is Jesus Christ himself. Whatever the circumstance are, whatever the lot is, thou hast taught me to say. Whatever the circumstance, whether in plenty or in want, through him who gives me strength. We've heard it said that God won't ever give us anything that we can't handle. And that's just not true. God won't give us anything that he can't handle. Can I remind you this morning that it is okay for you to not be okay? It's okay for you to not be okay. It's okay for you to feel the weight and the burden of the circumstances in your life. It's okay. Do you know why it's okay for you to not be okay? Because Jesus is okay. Jesus is okay. It's his voice that the wind and the waves obey, not ours. It's his hand that upholds us in times of trouble, not ours. That's Isaiah 41. Philippians 2, it's at his name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. It's not our name. He has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And I think, by the way, that the author uses the word taught here on purpose. We don't sing that we're commanded to say it is well with our soul or that we're suggested from time to time to declare that it is well with our soul. We learn. We have to learn. Even Paul said he learned to be content in all situations. So we have to learn too. And we're not going to get it right every single time. And we're not going to get it right all the time. We have to learn to declare over our circumstances, it is well with our soul, peace or sorrows, whatever may come. So Horatio Spafford, the author of this hymn, and Paul knew the spiritual truth that there is a wellness of their souls that is available to them independent from whatever circumstances come in their life. And that wellness isn't threatened by the circumstances that come into into their life. Well, how is that possible? How can that be? Well, here's the second verse of it as well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's why. That's why they can declare over their circumstances that it is well with their soul. This is the gospel. This keeps showing up in these hymns, doesn't it? This is why we praise God. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. That's what we celebrated a couple weeks ago, that Jesus Christ took our iniquity from us, our shame from us, the burden of the weight that you and I aren't perfect. Jesus took that on him, took it to the cross and paid for it in full. And now you and I are free. We're free. A number of years ago, a few years ago, Dana and I moved from the Chicago area to Colorado And a few months after we got there, we got a bill forwarded to us from the utility company saying that we were behind several months on some payments and they were going to send it to collections unless we settled up. So, of course, we freaked out. 
like, oh my gosh, we must have missed something somewhere. But at closer inspection of the invoice, the, the months that they were trying to collect for were the months after we had closed on the house. So, of course, we called the, uh, the realtor and told her what was going on. And it turns out the people who we sold our house to just didn't, decided not to put the utilities in their name. Oh, and they didn't want to pay him either. And so that's what happened. And if you, by the way, think this story is headed toward because Jesus paid it all for us, we paid it all for them. That's not where this is going. <laughs> we made sure that the realtor got in contact with them and said, hey, you need to put this in your name and you need to start paying it which they did, but we still got a $25 late fee from the utility company forwarded to me and Dana, and we paid that one. So there's at least 25 bucks worth of Christ-likeness in there. But here's, here's the point. Here's the point. Jesus paid it all for you, not most of it. You don't have to throw in 25 bucks. Jesus didn't pay 90%. You have to cover the rest with righteous living and fervent Bible reading. Jesus paid it all. You moved out of your sin debt, and Jesus moved in, and he paid it all for you. Do you know what this means? This is what Paul says in Romans. He says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Who's going to condemn you? No one. Jesus Christ who died, but more than that, who was raised to life is now at the right hand of God. Jesus is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, listen, listen to this. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Some translations say we are overwhelmingly victorious. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced, listen up, that neither heaven, uh, neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, nor any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that a glorious thought? Oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. And just so you don't miss it, Paul throws in anything else in all creation. He throws in that phrase just in case he didn't mention by name specifically the thing that you and I are dealing with right now. Nothing in all of creation will separate us from the love that God has, us, has for us in Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you again this morning, it is not a sin for your soul to be troubled. It's not a sin. We're going to deal with it. We're going to feel the weight of that. We're going to feel the weight of the brokenness of the world because we still live in a world that is subject to the curse of sin. Even Jesus experienced it. Listen to these words from Matthew that he records. Jesus, this is Matthew 26, 38. Jesus said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Have you, has your soul ever been overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death? Have you ever felt that? Jesus knows what that's like. He has felt that too. Jesus said these words to a few, a few of his disciples right after the Last Supper, right before he went to the cross, to pay for it in full so that you and I can have the security of the promise that we have the future that is secured in Jesus. Jesus overcame sin. He rose from the grave and overcame it, and now he promises us a day when we will forever be free from the weight of the brokenness of the world. Jesus secured your future. Jesus secured your future. Here's the last verse of it as well with my soul. 
And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. I love that line, my faith shall be sight. There will be a day, friends, that the doubt that we wrestle with constantly, the doubt that I wrestle with constantly, there will be a day then that when that's going to be removed and we will see Jesus with our own two eyes and our faith will be sight. And we no longer have to walk by faith anymore. We will walk by sight because we will see him on that day. What a day that's going to be for me and you, right? That's why it is well with my soul is such a hymn of hope for the troubled. It is such an encouragement for us today, and it's such a meaningful song because it tells us that, yeah, life's not perfect. We still deal with uh, the weight of sin. There's going to be times when peace attendeth our way, and there's going to be times when uh, sorrows like sea billows roll, but, uh, it, but all of the weight of sin has been paid for in full, and our story's not over yet. Our story's not over yet. Our circumstances that we're in, they're not going to last forever. There is a forever, but this is not it. This ain't it. Paul states in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen to these words. These words are so beautiful. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The weight of the circumstances that you and I experience right now, that's what is seen. And that's temporary. What we can't see yet, what is unseen, that is going to be eternal. And I love how Paul calls it our light and momentary troubles. He's not making light of the things that you and I go through from day to day. He's not making light of unemployment and divorce and cancer and sickness and death and pain and all of that stuff. Paul's not making light of that. When he wrote these words, you know what Paul was going through? He was constantly being beaten, whipped, flogged, stoned, imprisoned, and starved for the sake of the gospel. He found himself breaths away from death repeatedly. But Paul calls all of those circumstances light and momentary because he knew of the weight of glory that was promised to him and me and you, anyone who's in Jesus. He knew the weight of that glory and he knew the weight of that far is going to outweigh anything you and I go through now. The worst that can happen to us is going to be completely overwhelmed by the best that God has prepared for us. And he's preparing that right now. You were not created for hardship. Do you know that? You were not created for hardship. You were not created to simply endure life, to get through life, to make it work. You weren't created for that. You were created for the fullness of life. And that fullness starts with the relationship with Jesus Christ now and carries you into the eternity for which you have been created. This right now, you know what this is? This is just Denver. This is your layover. You didn't expect this. You didn't want to be here. This is, that's what this is. This is just Denver. You know, eventually Dana and I got on that plane from Denver. We were exhausted. We were freezing. We were sitting by that gate cold in flip-flops and t-shirts. But we got on that plane on a flight that felt like it lasted a lot longer than it actually did. 
in the sketchiest takeoff I've ever experienced in my life, by the way, in a blizzard. But after that flight, the captain comes on the thing and says, okay, we're going to make our descent into San Jose, California. So put your tray tables up and get ready to land. The weather conditions in San Jose right now are sunny skies and the high is 75. We were prepared for that. That's what we were prepared for. That's what we were created for, right? There's a reason why when hardship comes and, and trouble comes in your life, one of the responses we have is, this is not the way it's supposed to go. This isn't the way it's supposed to be because we know that sin and death and pain and all of that stuff, they're intruders into the human experience. We were not created for that. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3.11. God says that he has planted eternity in the human heart. He's planted eternity in the human heart. Even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. <clears throat> eternity is planted in our heart. We know that there is something else, something better, something where things are the way that they ought to be. Eternity has been planted in our heart. Lord, haste that day when faith in that will be made sight. But between that day and this day, there will be seasons when uh, sorrows come our way. And there's also going to be seasons when peace attendeth our way. So may we, by the strength of Jesus Christ, learn to declare through him that it is well with my soul no matter what season we're in. Do you know what the story of this hymn is that we're about to sing together? I mentioned earlier that it was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a, a devout Christian who was also a very successful lawyer and uh, investor in real estate in Chicago in the late 1800s. He lived with his wife Anna and he had four daughters and one son. Life was going really well for him. Things were great. Uh, his property investments were doing very well and his practice was thriving. But that's not when he wrote this hymn. In 1870, Horatio and Anna lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever. It was a heartbreaking loss for the family. And a year later, while they were still grieving the loss of their son, fires broke out in Chicago, destroying the city. And Horatio lost his entire life savings and all of his investments in real estate. They were totally lost in the flames. And he lost his life's work. And he had to start completely over. And the toll all of this took on his family called for a holiday for them uh, to go to Europe to visit friend and evangelist D.L. Moody, whom they had supported. But just before the trip, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to stay back. But Anna and the four girls went ahead, and they boarded the French ship, the Via du Havre, and headed off without him. A short time after, Horatio received the news that the Via du Havre collided with another vessel in the night, and was struck nearly in two, and it sank in 12 minutes. Only 61 passengers were pulled from the water. 226 died. It was the worst naval disaster of its time until the Titanic 40 years later. There was no way for Horatio to know if his family made it. A few days later, he received a telegram that read, Saved alone, what shall I do? It was from his wife, Anna. She was alone. They lost their four girls that night. So Horatio boarded the very next ship out to join his heartbroken wife. And halfway on that voyage to Europe, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge where he said these words to Horatio Spafford. 
a careful reckoning has been made. And I believe we are passing the very place where the Via du Havre sank. And it was there over the place where his daughters had lost their lives, where Horatio Spafford was inspired to write the words, it is well with my soul. This hymn that we're about to sing comes from a place of heart-wrenching pain and loss and tragedy, but both can be true. It can, we, it can be well with our soul and we can be in the midst of heart-wrenching pain. We can be both falling apart yet somehow held together. That's part of the Jesus experience, isn't it? That's part of our faith, isn't it? Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. But this, friends, is why we do not lose heart, because we know what awaits us in heaven. We know our story's not over yet. We know of the glory of the weight of the eternity that is being prepared for us and how that outweighs anything that we go through here. Our story is not over yet. Horatio Spafford knew that, not only to be true of himself, but of his children, too. In a letter to his sister-in-law, this is what he writes. On Thursday last, we passed over the spot where she went down in mid-ocean, the waters three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded, the dear lambs. It is well with my soul reminds us of the spiritual truth that our story is not over yet. It tells of how God is faithful to the end, to the very end. And we have the assurance that things won't just be uh, okay, but they will be made brand new. That is the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And that is why we can declare, no matter what our circumstances, that it is well with my soul.